Ladies and gentlemen, we are back during the international break here to talk a little bit of the Champions League. Now, it's been about two weeks since the Champions League Champions League match day four, but during the international break, we're kind of bored, um, even though there have been some fire games. Um, but we wanted to, to recap a little bit from a couple weeks ago. So today's pod is obviously featuring Rihanna and I here, but we decided to bring a special guest on, and that is my friend Noah. Noah, welcome to the pod. Thank you kindly. It's a pleasure to be here to finally set the record straight about Chelsea and their brilliant successes moving forwards. Yeah, you got to mention that he's also a Chelsea fan. Yeah, so Noah is a diehard Chelsea fan along with uh, with Rian, so this is going to be a fun review of the Chelsea-IX game. We're going to sure. see democracy in action. Nah, all right, well, we all have... Sorry, two of them have very polarizing thoughts compared to me. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna get into it. I mean, you do like yeah. like <laughs> I mean, the definition of poles is that when there's one, there's another. So if and we're I, polarizing, you are also polarizing. That's the that's the po- whatever. <laughs> um, this is gonna be like when Jay's on, but <laughs> but actually, like the team is good, so the expectations. And, you know, liking the players makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, and Jay's words, uh, I'm sure that Chelsea fans don't (laughs) expect them to win the league every year um, because that's a terrible expectation and setting yourself up for failure. Well, sometimes. Um, Not every year. Not every year. Some years, yes. When they're good. Yeah, when they're good. Um, It's warranted, basically. Yes, sure. Um, But no, so we're going to kick it off and get started and talk. Well, let's... Let's just talk about Chelsea Ajax. Let's let's begin with the biggest game of last week. Obviously, a ridiculous 4-4 draw at Stamford Bridge. Um, I know I watched mainly the second half, which turned out great for me, uh, for a neutral. Um, and I know Rian watched some small parts of it, didn't really get a chance to watch it. And Noah was listening to the audio of it. So three different ways of watching it and three different opinions. So, guys, let's start. What did you... What did you guys make of the game? First of all, I highly recommend listening to Champions League soccer. It's another experience that just gives you the chance to close your eyes and be on the pitch with all the wildness that was happening, and especially for a game that had as much going on and as much for you to fill in as this 4-4 draw with uh, some very deserved uh, discipline from the esteemed referee. Uh, It was just a great way to engage with the game. Uh, So if you guys have a chance, highly recommend it. Yeah, if you have a chance, just download the Chelsea Fit Stand app, (laughs) make an account, and listen to every single game. This podcast is sponsored by Chelsea FC. This podcast is not sponsored by any team or club. I just want to point that out now. (laughs) But No, I, I did miss... Unfortunately, uh, the second half live, but trust me, I went back and watched that in full. On Did you my, actually the on my half? own, maybe in a dark room. <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll, let, I'll let you just finish the rest of that story. But uh, basically, no, it was it was actually yeah, ridiculous game. Um, the, the first leg in Ajax was also a pretty entertaining game. Um, and these two teams, I think, are just very evenly matched. Um, this is a weird kind of setting, though, because Ajax's fans were not at the at the yeah. bridge at all because of some disciplinary thing that happened. Yeah, I think in their uh, in their game against Valencia mm-hmm. um, last month, so they had no fans there, which. <laughs> Obviously made no difference, but, <laughs> but at the same time, I think I may have talked to Ellis about this, but their results all in the Champions League last season, like their best results were also away from home. So they are, I mean, granted, they're obviously probably a very good team at home too, but in the Champions League, they were very, very good away from home. And, and so. one of the interesting things, uh, just to, if none of you watched the game, uh, the 60th, around the 60th minute, a uh, terrible tackle from Daly Blind earned him uh, his second yellow card. In the same sequence of plays, the ref was playing advantage. Uh, Chelsea's shot struck Veltman in the hand. Uh, it was called handball in the box, uh, giving Jorginho or, a penalty, which he naturally converted, the Italian god that he is. Uh, and Veltman was then subsequently sent off for a combination of his 
uh, handball being his second yellow card, uh, and also an aggressive descent, uh, which the entire team, uh, the entire Ajax team basically stormed the referee around the halfway mark, uh, including the goalie, who wasn't booked for time-wasting, uh, which we'll get into later. Um <laughs> But the we're getting into it now. <laughs> yeah, we're getting into it now. Uh, but the interesting thing is, for that last thirty some odd minutes of the game, uh, even while Ajax were down to nine men, they didn't stop attacking. They still had a couple of really good chances towards the end of the game. They uh, did make uh, tactical substitutions. They brought off uh, some of their attacking players for. Uh, their center backs, both of which uh, obviously were sent off, uh, but it really shows that Ajax are committed to playing expansive, attractive football, um, which is made it fun to watch from a neutral perspective, uh, a little bit scary from the <laughs> Chelsea perspective, uh, but it also gave uh, Chelsea fans the sense that they weren't just going to park the bus and pack everyone back inside the box, uh, they were going to go for it as well, and it resulted in a couple of good-looking chances for uh, for Ajax. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, I guess, watching from the neutral perspective, right, is that I, I'm not sure about the statistics, but I'm very confident that Ajax had more shots in that span between when those two red cards happened um, and the end of the game compared to Chelsea's shots in that, in that span. And I think that is largely due to the fact that they do play this style of football that is very, it's very focused on attacking football. That's their mindset. And one of the, I think one of the ways that shined through is the fact that, right, they didn't park the bus. And I think that if they had parked the bus in a very un ix like way um, that we've come to know them, I think they would have conceded a goal and actually gone on to lose the game. Lose the game. Um, did they? I think they had the better chances towards the end of the game, despite being down to nine men. But this was still a. But no, that's just no. blatantly false. Okay, blatantly <laughs> false. I perfect Batshuayi chances in the last ten minutes that were his to finish. Uh, the only tactical question I'd ask of Frank Lampard uh, is not bringing on Batshuayi a little bit sooner. Um, sometimes it takes time for, especially Mishi, to get into the game. Um, and once he's into the game, as we've seen, uh, especially in. European football, uh, he's clinical, deadly, um, and basically a 50% bet to score game in, game out. Um, but he may not have had enough time to get into the flow of the game. Uh, he had his two chances. Uh, probably One of them was a little tricky, but one of them he probably should have put away. Uh, Ajax keeper made an incredible save uh, on his second chance. But at the end of the day, uh, from a position of 4-1 down after 55 minutes Chelsea fans really can't complain walking away with a point yeah no I obviously when you go down 4-1 I I would have taken also I mean I guess I wasn't watching at first too so once I saw 4-1 and then I saw 4-4 I was taking that I was taking that no matter what (laughs) but I I do want to talk a little bit on at least on the first half up until we got to 4-1 I was gonna say like it was great it was great to come back and stuff right um but, you know, the first half obviously didn't go great. But I, at the same time, why, why I said, like, I think these two teams are very, very uh, close in terms of talent-wise is because the quality of the goals that I scored in the first half. I mean, granted, the first one is just... The first one is pretty lucky from Tammy. You know, it, it hits off of him and goes into the goal. The second one is an amazing cross <laughs> and, and, a, and a pretty good header. Third goal hit Capa in the face. True, but the shot was still pretty disgusting. Was it, was it, <laughs> like the shot, well worked free kick, probably not a shot. I, I think that that was a ball. That I just, don't know. I think he was. I I, 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 do, I, I think he was shot. shooting because I, I do. Because I do think Ziyech himself. He takes so many of those type of shots. Like he did in the first leg. In the first leg too, he shot. I was like, dude, this is such a jackass. He shoots the ball. So he takes, tries to go for these really tough shots. Yeah. And like when they connect, they look great. He scored a pretty similar goal um, at Valencia. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Not the same position. Not it the same was farther back, but it was, still and it was from open play too, and from right. a disgusting angle and he scored off of that just because he tries those shots so yeah. much but um, no the, the three goals were and one of them was, was luck completely sure. but but then obviously you love to see that Captain America came through and and gets and gets fouled to get to make it 1-1 but 
they were more or less outplayed in the first half. Yeah, granted, two of the goals were, were own goals, were more or less outplayed. I mean, the scoreline <clears throat> shows that as well, right? Also, well, just revealed yeah. Chelsea's ongoing problems with set pieces, which is oh yeah, uh, they're a great team if you never have to defend yeah. set pieces. That's why the, more of the re- more of the reason why they won the first slides. <laughs> they just really not concede many set pieces. <laughs> They could have won the whole Champions League. Yeah. Exactly. If, if set pieces were banned, this would be the best team in Europe, probably. Yeah. Simply. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Elliot should calm down because yeah. his best player scores all of his goals off. All of his team's goals <laughs> on free kicks. That's so, so true. <laughs> because we don't know how to score on the interesting goals. thing is Chelsea's problem with set pieces has nothing to do with the physical stature of oh, yeah. Chelsea oh. players. Uh, if you think about Kurt Zuma, if you think about about Tamori, if you think even think about the fullbacks, Emerson and Reese James, who was incredible uh, coming on for the now useless Marcus Alonso, um, they've got plenty of size and strength to deal with uh, aggressive plays. It's just figuring out, and especially uh, with the youth that Chelsea have, how to deal with some more tactical free kick setups. Um, and once they figure that out, and that comes with experience, that comes with games played. Um, but once they figure that out, I think uh, this back line uh, is really going to be something to watch. And it's also going to save Chelsea a bunch of money um, with all the conversations about, especially Koulibaly, uh, bringing a player of his caliber in is obviously never cheap. Uh, and before this season, before the transfer ban, obviously, um, there were uh, legitimate questions about whether or not Chelsea had the talent uh, in defense to uh, be a serious contender, not uh, for Champions League football, but for uh, Europa League football. Um, and I think now uh, that the backline's established itself a little bit and is continuing to grow, uh, it makes that a little more unnecessary, especially when Rudiger comes back. That, that was one of the things I was going to say. Like, do you think that this backline changes for the better significantly when Rudiger comes back? Like, do you think that he makes all that much of a difference to this this team? Uh, significantly, maybe not like massively significant, but I do still think he's the best defender on the team. Or he was the best defender last season, at least. So um, I still think he having the option of. Rudiger, Christensen, uh, Zuma, and Tamori as four guys that you can rotate around uh, if necessary. And I think that's a really good four options to have, uh, especially since Zuma's genuinely gotten better, I think, in the last... Well, especially since the, uh, the first day uh, against United, he was pretty poor. But I think him playing a lot, he's probably been the biggest... Yeah, I, th- I think he's benefited actually more than Tamori with Rudiger not being because I think Tamori would have played either way next to Rudiger, <laughs> I, or if not next to Rudiger, but he would have gotten more time. I think. Sure. I think. I think he's higher on the depth chart of the right, four right, than right. Zuma, and I think Zuma's played very well the last month and a half, and that's really helped. I mean, the team if, overall. If but. he if he had scored. That goal. Oh my god! We have to talk about that run. (laughs) It was the most Kurt Zuma thing I've ever seen. Like a moment of brilliant dribbling and speed and agility to run through and just sky it into Rose. I I forgot. Then he remembered that he was he was he is a center back. (laughs) It was very much a center back's finish. But yeah, he dribbles through like five players. Does. Two completely unnecessary stepovers, <laughs> and just keeps keeps going with the ball, and and, and, just, and it takes a shot outside the eighteen and just skies it, and Lampard's like laughing. And this was when they were down three one too, so you know, it's still fun. I, one last thing that I wanted to say about the first half, like, granted, yeah, we were talking about Mark Alonso, just time after time was just fouling people on the side for just no reason. And his foul is what leads to the third goal. Yeah. Um, at half, Lampard makes a very decisive change. He takes off Alonzo, and he brings on Reese James, and he puts Espelicueta over to the left, um, and Reese James on the right. And 
there was just way more energy in the team. Granted, they got scored on like 10 minutes later, but um, there was just more energy on the wings because Reese James can actually play a cross on the right. That is a tough thing when Espelicueta is playing there. You're just kind of limited offensively, but... It also just uh, yeah. brings an element of pace and physicality that Marcus Alonso is too old for. Well. <laughs> like, Alonso was great. Alonso was good when he was good, um, but he's not I, good anymore. I, I, you know, I, I don't love Marcus Alonso either, but uh, I'm not going to let this slander, this full-on slander go on here. He's still very good offensively. Just out of position. It's probably very similar to my Dava Luiz affection. <laughs> it's just a back four is not the right place for him. So back three or back five? Oh well, yeah, yeah. Three. He has to be. He's a wing back. He's not actually. Right, uh, he's right. not like. A, he's not a traditional fullback. Yeah. He's that's not, not. That's not where he's been the best. That's not where. That's not his best. If he was faster, he could be a good wing back. He he genuinely was a good wing back the season that they won yeah, thirty now, games. Now he's slower. I don't know. I don't think he was quicker then, to be honest. I just think he didn't have to do as much. He looks like he's gone full Eden Hazard, of uh, plumping up and four. slowing I think it's down. Just the back four. I think it's just the back four. I, I, I agree. I don't think. I don't think. Ideal world that he doesn't start at left back, and and that's what's happened as soon as Emerson came back. But that's an interesting question, though. Of those four, I guess uh, as as P. Uh, Emerson, Reese James, and Marcus Alonso. Um, who do you play? Uh, because I th- it's an interesting compare, like similar question to the center back question um, that you've got four players uh, trying to balance uh, the desires with players like Tamori and Reese James of getting young player, young talented, physically adept players game time so that they learn. Um, how to not make dumb mistakes, and how do you balance that with players like Asplaqueta or Rudiger, uh, more uh, seasoned players who uh, sometimes have a better understanding of the game, uh, but simply have lost that physical edge that uh, sometimes players have to rely on. I mean, honestly, that is a good question, um, and it it kind of leads you to start thinking about where this Chelsea team is going to be in a couple of years, right? Like Lampard, I'm assuming, let's assume he's going to be back next year. Let's assume he'll be be back the the year after that. Um, It seems as though there are a lot of players coming up through the youth system with the transfer ban in place that are capable and are willing to take the starting spots of those older players on the roster. And I think we're starting to see that phase of players around the age of 30 and above now starting to not become irrelevant, but they're starting to become senior team members that don't necessarily get the same amount of time that a youth player would, but still have the influence that a top player should have within a team. And I don't know. I think Chelsea are trying to find their balance with that. Um, And this was one of those games, right? Where that, where that showed through. Um, But I guess like kind of the last question here related to, Irrespective of the red cards, irrespective of, you know, the comeback and everything, do you think this was, for both of you, a good Chelsea performance? Oh, overall? Uh... Like, is, is this a performance that you'd be happy with walking away and saying, if we were in, like, the round of 16, we could, we could have gone through? No. Well, no. If this was in the round of 16, there'd be four away goals. Then that's not okay. That's not great. Yes, I, I agree with that. I, I obviously, yeah. But in terms of like everything tactically and that the way that it was set up to the overall performance, um, the overall individual performances, were you happy with it? Second half, yes. Yeah, the First overall spirit. Not. I'm overall talking about spirit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm talking about the second half, notwithstanding the red cards. I think the first half, tactically, uh, with uh, Marcus Alonso on there, um, and the two own goals, one of them was um, more fluky than the other. Um, but the first half, uh, Chelsea were outplayed, and I don't think 
anyone reasonable disputes that. And the second half really showed the spirit of the Chelsea team, especially after the fourth Ajax goal, because it's very easy uh, to pack it up down 4-1 in the second half to a quality team. I mean, while I was listening to the game, even the uh, Chelsea announcers were, as the fourth goal went in, pack it up, the game's over. Um, But clearly, the players on the field didn't feel that way. Um, And I think that's a really great development, especially when you can compare that to Chelsea teams of years past um, and Chelsea fans of years past. Um, There's uh, Stanford Bridge hasn't always had the energy that you saw it have, uh, that you've seen it have all season uh, with Lampard in as manager, uh, but especially in the second half of the Ajax game being really uh, engaged and with the, uh, with the players on the field. And I think uh, after the game, you saw just how much uh, Chelsea players and uh, Frank appreciated that um, with the length of time they spent on the fear field with the fans. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're starting to see that love for Lampard shine through, not only as a player now, but in the way that he's built the squad as a manager. Um, he, For me, I feel like he is one of the better player people managers in the league right now. He has that ability to work and communicate with players. And one of the things that I know I've read about managers in the past, one of the most successful or some of the most successful managers have been the best communicators of ideas in, in the past and been able to effectively communicate to a player what they want them to do, um, almost whether it's right or wrong, tactically or what have you. But that's so important as a manager, and it seems like Lampard's doing that. And if they can get the players to buy into that Lampard idea, you're, yeah, you're going to get the fans behind you because you're going to start winning games. And it's not just Lampard. I mean, if you think about Jody Morris, if you think about Zola, he's got a support staff with him that are also contributing, that are also um, being not just uh, advisors to the players, but also advisors to Lampard. And to Lampard's credit, he's not the kind of manager that's going to be an authoritarian that uh, is not going to listen to his assistants when his assistants give him good advice uh, because he knows he's new to managing in the Premier League. Uh, so he's really done a great job of engaging, uh, especially Zola, uh, who's uh, a more elder, elder statesman uh, of Chelsea. Uh, and he's made sure that the players get the, um, at times, the coddling and at times uh, the drive and more aggressive coaching that they need uh, and we've seen it on the field yeah absolutely so big test coming up on saturday um man city obviously still one of the top teams in europe despite their most recent form um how are you feeling now ahead of this game obviously the last game that you did play was that well, well no. no not not that game but one of the most important games of the seasons was this past game um obviously you won the weekend after but how are you feeling, I guess, ahead of, of, of this big game? Um, I mean, I, I, th- I think we talked before. <laughs> I'm still taking anything that's not a 6-1 loss there this season. I'll take that as – I'll just take that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, expectations, not, not super high, but – I don't think anyone. I don't think there's going to be massive expectations on uh, the Chelsea side to go and get three points there, or you know, I don't. I don't think. I personally am not expecting it. Hope, yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I think they're. I think they'd be good enough to. I think they're good enough to go and get a result. Um, obviously, it'll be very difficult, but I think they'll be able to be. To honestly, think they'll be able to just play pretty freely and with again with the lack of expectation like no one they're not title challenge no one's expecting them to go in and try to get points from this game to like keep them in the title race like that's that's not going to be the narrative around it for on their side it should be just to go and actually go at Manchester City and try to actually play against them and not and not sit back or anything and and, and I wouldn't expect that anyway but you know not to be afraid basically yeah 
And I think no one, uh, just like no one would be surprised if Chelsea lost, absolutely no one would be surprised if Chelsea won. Chelsea firing on all cylinders can beat any team in the Premier League, um, no matter how they're playing. If the center blacks are playing... Center, center blocks? Center really? backs. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For center sure. backs. <laughs> if the center the, backs... The center blacks of Zuma and Tamori. Yeah, that's what, that's what we call them. <laughs> Anyways, we can return to uh, the serious nature of this podcast. <laughs> Uh, if the center backs play uh, with confidence, uh, if the midfield links up well and pushes forward to press when they need to, if Mason Mount cannot be hurt, please and thank you. Um, I was a <laughs> little bit. Scored his first England goal. Scored, so. scored his first England goal, but got hurt. Um, so that's not great. Um, and if the wings can press in um, and make sure to keep wide when they're supposed to keep wide, uh, but also put real pressure on uh, opposing fullbacks and center backs, uh, hopefully linking up through Tammy, uh, I think there's a real chance. I think the biggest problem that Chelsea's going to have is with Sterling. Um, I think that Chelsea's fullbacks, except for uh, Reese James, just don't have the raw speed to keep up with Sterling, especially when uh, they're isolated out wide when there isn't sufficient help there. I think Conte is going to have a heavy day um, more on the wings than he usually would have trying to deal with uh, Sterling in particular. Um, But I think that bar, you know, giving up set pieces, I think we got a chance. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting that you bring up that that Conte um, situation tactically because I do think that's going to be a very tough day for him to try and manage between the fullbacks and and the space in his holding midfield role. Um, but he's of all the midfielders in the Premier League, he he might be the one of the very few that could actually do that very well. Um, but with that, obviously a very big game for yeah. um, for Chelsea coming up and uh, coming off a major win. Did you want to? I do want to just no. I, I want to mention the the. Getting back to the Champions League, I want to get, just mention that in the group um, that now there's a three-way tie for first with uh, Valencia, Ajax, and Chelsea all on seven points, especially after um, Valencia came back to win against Lille. So um, Chelsea have to go to Valencia next. That that's obviously will be not, not going to be an easy game. A game but, that will lose, um, but, <laughs> but, you know. Okay. Whatever. Want to put money on it? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so so that, obviously, I, I think, massive match, obviously, for Chelsea. But if they can go and probably get three points, I think I think they'd probably be safe. If they can go and really not lose, would be ideal. Obviously, not losing would be ideal. But uh, even just getting a point from that game um, would put them – at home against Lille in the final match of and the campaign, and that game. and they should be able to get three points in that. So, um, no, that's all. That's all for the uh, for the Chelsea fellatio that we've given here in the, in the game. Chelsea fact finding experience, Ron. <laughs> this has been a whirlwind of just a lot for for me as Truth. a neutral. Not try uh, whatever you say, um, but no. So this um, obviously has been a very important cha- Champions League campaign for Chelsea, and that might continue into the post group stage um, group stages of the Champions League. So we're going to go ahead and move on from here to talking about the so-called Rion labeled group of death. That is, of course, Barcelona, Dortmund, Inter, and Slavia Prague. Um, so. Yeah, if you have, we're going to give you some alone time on this one to talk about the uh, Barcelona Slavia Prague game, uh, because I think we really need to hear your insights on Barcelona's stature and success in that game in particular. How did it end again? What was the final score? Uh, Slavia Prague is from what league? The final score of the Barcelona Slavia Prague game at the Camp Nou was zero zero. This game was so mind-numbingly bad. I watched the Argentina-Uruguay friendly today um, just because I was thinking that that might be an entertaining friendly to watch. 
Argentina is currently pl- playing better football than Barcelona is, and I never thought I would hear myself say that. This game was just so bad. Like, there is no tactical structure to this team anymore that makes sense. At one point, and I kid you not, Valverde was playing a four, no, not even, it was like a two, two, like six. Like, it didn't make sense. There was like some weird diamond in the back and then literally six players in a line standing up against the Slavia Prague um, back line of a five and a midfield four. Um, It was... It's just such a bad performance from Valverde once again. This team is lacking competency when it comes to technical structure. There is you could have just stopped at lacking competency. There, no, but that's the problem, right? Like this is this is still a good team when like you look at the players on paper, and so it bothers me more that the coach is making this an issue and disadvantaging the entire team. Because the one way I look at it is by thinking to myself: Has any player under Valverde improved? If you can name one player under Valverde that has improved, I'll be shocked. Uh, I think Usman Dembele went from uh, on the injury table to on the field a couple times. So that, that that's worse. That's training. <laughs> that's that's worse. Yeah. So uh, progress, injury progress. Uh, thank you, Ernesto. Yeah, that's all you. No, it's literally it's. I, I've lost words to describe this team because this Slavia Prague game um, showcased everything. That was wrong with the team. Prague was doing everything that I would expect Barcelona to be doing. They were playing out of the press. They were playing very, very simple. Um, they had wide men. I think that's one of the things that Barcelona has been lacking. They they don't have proper wingers. Dembele is one of the only ones, and Ansu Fati is just too young right now. Uh, granted, he's extremely talented, but it's just a bad setup. It's a bad forward line setup. I'm... And I don't know where Griezmann's going to fit into this team. Maybe Ruyan was right from the beginning of the season, but it—he shouldn't be a scapegoat. But it's just such a poor team right now. And the fact that Messi had to save the team with two free kicks against Celta Vigo over the weekend is just ridiculous. Like I'm, like I said, at the beginning of last season or at some point last season, Valverde out. And yeah, with that reason, I'm out. So, nothing's gotten better, for the most part, since the season started. They still oddly have a tough time creating chances, even with the players on the field. Um, Once again, if you're not going to play Antoine Griezmann in a false nine kind of area and put Messi on the right wing, then... You may as well sell him in January because there's no point. In, there's no point in having him. No, just, it's, his, it's his new natural position as left winger. So again, lose like, a ton of money. Yeah, seriously. But, but you know, it makes no sense. I mean, I guess all you can do is wait out Suarez. Just wait out Suarez, pretty much. To, to what? Grow, so, uh, have a heart attack? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's fair. Not as fat as Hazard. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's true. But, I, yeah, I don't know where else to go with this team. I this mean, team, I mean, they face a very similar situation as a couple teams in Europe, a couple of the big teams in Europe right now, where you know that this is not the manager you're going to... Not you know, but... Pretty positive. In Barca's case, you absolutely know you're not going to have this manager next season. But, you know, it's similar to, like, Arsenal, where they're hoping that they don't have the same uh, manager next season. But it's obviously at a very stale point. These big clubs are at a very stale point. And we saw where Bayern just (laughs) made a decision and cut ties with with their guy. Right? It's... Most big teams don't want to do that. Don't want to, I guess, pay the money for cutting a, uh, a coach loose early. Obviously, there's always like the big the contract stuff that goes with that. But you're you're not wasting money because you're Barca and and you're gonna be in the Champions League next season anyway. So it's not dire as like other other clubs and stuff. But you know. Th- that's really what's gonna. You know your ceiling. That's actually the biggest thing. You know your ceiling with Valverde. Yeah. You know it's not. It's not making it to like a Champions League final. 
You know it's definitely yeah, not so that. We were, we were how far away from a Champions League final? Like, sorry, it's 90 minutes. Really? 90 oh minutes. God. 90 God. minutes. Yeah. No, 90, 90 minutes away. You're right. But, uh, but you know that's the ceiling. Right. <laughs> because that entire 90 minutes was give Messi the ball and let's hope that something happens, which right. has still been the game plan this season. Isn't that it? has not changed. And I said, I said this on the last podcast, but giving Messi the ball is not a bad strategy. It's only a bad strategy when it's literally your only strategy. Then it becomes a terrible idea because people know how to play against that. Like he is still the best player of all time for me, but that doesn't mean that he can't get there. I mean, that doesn't mean like he can just navigate through seven players every single time. It doesn't happen that way. He's a better goalkeeper. He and Kyle Walker are both better goalies than Thibaut Courtois. Fact. Unnecessary comment, totally unrelated, but we will absolutely get to that in a second. Um, but that actually does raise an interesting question, Rian, which is where do who do Barcelona turn to? Um, hopefully, at the end of this season, um, we all know that Jose Mourinho's out there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be masochistic, which uh, would be interesting. Um, but would be they're funny enough for me, dude. He's got he's got to go to Arsenal for to for pure. Those would for be full games. for full banter, but. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Well, who will be out there in the summer? Well, you know, Pochettino will. Just he will. He's, he's not going to come but to Barcelona. I don't but. think that wouldn't have been my yeah, That wouldn't have been my thought that he goes to Barcelona either. But um, I mean, he, he managed Espanyol. He has so many ties to Real Madrid. It's not going to happen with Pochettino. But that would be a, amazing. Right. So so we're we're not looking at him. I would have to ask Elias here. Who else is there? I mean, there's always like the Lampard approach. The, the, the what? There's the Lampard approach. Why wouldn't uh, Xavi or Iniesta, uh, someone like that, Puyol, uh, someone who has a club history, come back and not even necessarily in a managerial role, but as a coach to sort of or a caretaker manager. Um, just to sort of get the team through this period, someone who understands what it means to be a Barcelona player at its high point, and for if he can't do anything else, can at least bring that back, some sort of pride in playing for the team, because clearly with Valverde, no one really cares. That's the biggest thing, right? It doesn't even show that the players are, are devoting themselves to this. But I guess to answer your original question, who do I see being the next Barcelona manager? Obviously, I don't know. Um, Gallardo, who is the River Plate manager, has, his name has been thrown a lot around a little bit, which would be fantastic. I, I love River, and I love the way they play. It's very attack-minded football as well. Um, the other manager, I guess also on top of that, the reason I think Xavi and Puyol, Puyol haven't come back, one, because I think Xavi is preparing himself to become a Barcelona manager in, in three to four years, um, post-Messi era. And I think that... Puyol hasn't come back because, well, he actually was offered a sporting director type role and he turned it down citing because he had other personal projects going on. But I think there's a deeper lying problem with the board and everything. But long story short, I don't know who's the next Barcelona manager. That's a question for the summer. That's I think that's going to be a like right before the Euros type decision or right after like the Copa America type decision. Like somewhere in that range is going to be when they figure it out. Um but honestly, if it's Valverde again, I wouldn't even be surprised at this point. Like, ugh, I'm so done. Anyway, I don't want to take up too much time yeah. with this. Shall, um, we, shall we go on to the to the rest of this group? Yeah, the rest right? of the group, um, Dortmund Inter um, had an incredibly entertaining game um, at Dortmund, by the way. Yeah. Um, Inter getting out to a monumental lead. A 2-0 lead, a 2-0 lead which for a Conte team you would expect... To just be able to hold on to it and and be pretty solid, especially because all the Dortmund goals came in the second half. So, um, but no, that was a great game, especially the, the first goal, um, Latara Martinez, who's arguably been their best striker. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I guess. Even though Lukaku has scored, legitimately. Lukaku has They've scored. They've been fantastic together. Yeah. yeah. Lukaku has scored, I think, eight or nine goals. So far, so he hasn't been bad. I mean, he's you know, he's been what he's he been was. He's been what he was, and and still a you know good finisher when he doesn't really have to touch the ball much. But um, no, I just the first goal was a bit of a bit of a highlight for me because um, Martinez gets the ball like, on the right wing 
and he, I think, just stolen it off of the left back, and he has Lukaku there, easy square, easy, easy to square it to him and get the goal. But he said, no, just he just kept going with it, and and, and he scored on his own. If, if he hadn't, that would have really been an issue, I think, for <laughs> Lukaku and honestly the rest of the Inter team, but. Yeah, would have been fair. Would have been a fair thing to be upset about. <laughs> so, like Lautaro, uh, it's such a good sign that he's built up the confidence uh, in himself to do that. Because in order to be a true top class striker, you can't have that doubt in your mind that you'll miss. And there are plenty of times that we've seen uh, players like Torres, players uh, like uh, Diego Costa, players who've struggled with confidence issues. Uh, be too quick to turn around uh, or to square the ball unnecessarily um, as opposed to just going for it. And the fact that Latar is playing so well, uh, that he's on such a good run of form, uh, has given him the confidence to take people on and to take shots. And I think that uh, ultimately his team's only best served by him continuing to have that confidence. Uh, because it's like, and Murata is, I think, the prime example of someone who needs confidence to play well. Um, he's absolutely miserable at Chelsea because people didn't like him, um, which is ridiculous for a professional soccer player. Um, but it still remains that there are players like that, um, that confidence matters. Um, and I think that the position, the two positions that that matters most for are the front and the back strikers and goalies. Yeah, absolutely. No, I fully agree. I, I've loved seeing Lautaro Martinez play for Argentina as well. Uh, watching him today in the Uruguay game uh, for the couple minutes that he had, he came on for Dybala, um, who's actually got more playing time, fun fact, uh, with Argentina. But yeah, so it's... it's been, a year too late. <laughs> in the World Cup. But yeah. I mean, they had him, but like not really. Um, yeah, but it's been fantastic to see him play and enter... They've been holding their own, I would say. It's just a shame that, well, I guess we're kind of forgetting the major part of this entire game is that... They lost. They lost. They didn't lose. <laughs> they, they were up to nothing, but they lost 3-2 um, in a fantastic effort by Dortmund to come back at home, which really so, like solidified what this team's about. And this, almost in the same vein that I think Chelsea is, um, is about, they, they don't give up. There's this mentality of always pushing forward when it comes to this Dortmund side. Um, and it's really, really intriguing to see. And I'm very, very worried about when they come to the Camp Nou next week, I believe. Yeah, next week in the Champions League, that's the fifth match day. Um, that This is a, a team that I can absolutely see beating Barcelona at Camp Nou. Like, in the current state, I have no reason to doubt that they could fully beat them in Barcelona. Not just beat them. Like, truly, I think if that happens, if Dortmund put on one of their inspired this is what it means to actually enjoy playing for a team performances. They could legitimately run Valverde out of the stadium uh, because obviously the Barcelona fans still have a passion and a knowledge of what Barcelona is. Um, but if someone comes into their house and someone who can play with passion, play with excitement um, and knows how to expose a team that's just sitting around and waiting for one player to do something. If that happens, I think that you're going to see I think you're going to see people walk out. I think you're going to see Valverde get hell from the crowd. Um, and I think that might be the one thing that ends up forcing Barcelona into a midseason change. That honestly, that's a very interesting take. Like, and it's with such a high-profile game like the Dortmund game, um, there, with Roma and Liverpool, those catastrophes, the, the, you can almost like from the Barcelona board perspective, like make excuses. Yeah, yeah I, you know. Yeah, no, that that is fair. Because we said this too. If if you didn't get, if they didn't let him go at the sea after at the end of the season right. against with the with the Liverpool, which was. I don't know. Was it worse than it's on the same level as the Roma? I, I think Maybe, probably, no, worse, probably, probably worse. Probably worse. Probably worse. But a similar situation where they are away from home. Yeah. I think the Liverpool one feels worse for sure because that they just felt that close. Like, yeah, yeah, and that just felt like an avalanche too. But yeah, I mean the Dortmund will be will be a really interesting one because you know we we know all the talent that Dortmund has going forward and stuff, but. They have not been convincing defensively no. in, in the Bundesliga. Hummels has not and had a great season at all. Yeah, he, he, their, their hope was him coming back, with, especially because they more or less 
in a way, they kind of gave not gave away the Bundesliga, but more or less, they, they they really had a lot of bad results at the end of the Bundesliga season. A lot of it because they didn't have like an experienced center back at the end of, in the last like fifteen minutes of games. That's that's when they were blowing leads and stuff. But um, he hasn't quite had the impact that they expected, and I don't think it's necessarily all his fault, but. They, you'll have chances, most likely, especially because you're at the new camp too. It's so hard to get to get a clean sheet there. So That's you, true. you almost always can guarantee that Barca will score at least one goal. Um, it's all about you know whether you believe that that you <laughs> is, can is deal that with <laughs> yeah you can deal with um, the people on the wings for for Dortmund when you have people like Sancho or even Hakimi from. Mm. Who's on loan from Real Madrid? Who was really good in this game against Inter? Scored, end up scoring two of the goals. One of them being the, the game winner. So that's that's actually one one of the points I wanted to discuss too. Nelson Semedo and Jordi Alba are out for for this game. So we have no starting fullbacks against two very good wingers. Uh, what do you mean? Sergio Roberto <laughs> played there like 75% of the last season. Yeah, yeah, and look how that turned out on the Anfield. So, uh, yeah, I, can't, I can't wait. No, yeah. Anyway, that is that is kind of a, an overview of the group of death, group F. Um, but with that, we're going to take a quick break and come back with some of the other uh, games from match day four, including Man City and Juve. But we'll be back in just a second. All right, we are back looking at some of the other group stage matches from match day four in the Champions League this year. We're going to start off with such a weird game um, with the Man City Atlanta game. Atalanta coming into this game not honestly living up to the expectations that Rian and I had for them. At least in the Champions League. They've been doing well in Italy, though. They have. They've been doing well in Italy, but specifically the Champions League, losing out to to Shakhtar pretty poorly recently. Um, And then now coming out against City and obviously having a tough opponent in in them. Um, But this game did actually end in a tie. Um, It was 1-1 by the end of it. They did manage to get a point. But that's not really the biggest storyline from this game. You'd think it would be. Yes. So, at halftime, Ederson has to go off, right? Um, he's an injury that ends up actually keeping him out of the Liverpool game, too, which probably probably was part of the reason. At least for the third Liverpool goal, I, I think... I think Ederson, the uh, cross where Bravo like uh, kind of thinks of, he kind of thinks about jumping to get it, yeah. and and realizes that yeah, and realizes that he probably actually couldn't get it because he's probably not tall enough to jump and get the <laughs> and get the cross, and then and then obviously the goal score, but right. yeah, he gets he so he goes off at halftime, and then Claudio Bravo comes out and just. <laughs> Just amazingly gets himself sent off with what fifteen minutes, fifteen minutes left to play. Yeah, like between ten and fifteen minutes. And enter England's number two. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, England's England's um, right back, Kyle Walker. Yeah. So uh, no, I know you. uh, You definitely had some thoughts on Kyle Walker's goalkeeping performance. Let me just say, Kyle Walker, after. There was a game earlier this year uh, for Elias' favorite team, Real Madrid. Uh, okay. <laughs> and we got to see some a masterclass in goalkeeping errors from the one, the only, the best transfer that Chelsea has ever made away, <laughs> Thibaut Courtois. Kyle Walker now has, and will have for the rest of his career, a better save percentage than Thibaut Courtois, fewer goals allowed than Thibaut Courtois, fewer average goals allowed than Thibaut Courtois, a smaller nose than Thibaut Courtois, more attractive relationships than Thibaut Courtois, and he doesn't suck like Thibaut Courtois. He's also managed to have the distinction of having the squarest head in the Premier League. Um, He has beat Courtois on that as well. Um, So, above all else, 
Fuck Thibaut Courtois. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we actually didn't even care to talk about the City Atlanta game uh, just because this was kind of the biggest thing about it. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, to be fair, like, City had a penalty at the end of the first half and could have made it 2 0, and Gabriel Jesus just completely missed the net. Um, I, really, I really feel like he cries every time something bad happens. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's very similar to like Guendouzi, where like, if something bad happens on the team, you can see he gets very emotional. Yeah, who else cries when bad things happen? Thibaut Courtois. <laughs> yeah, so uh, no, no vendetta against you, Courtois. Um, keep up the... Bad the, work. I guess, yeah, the bad work for me. <laughs> but actually for all three of us, what am I saying? Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, this this game should have still been a city win at the end of the day. Like, it's not like they shouldn't have gotten away with three points. just that this whole goalkeeping thing was totally overshadowing the fact that they couldn't create as... as well, they did create chances, but they couldn't put in the chances that they, they had. It was it was like the same yeah. problems as last season. Yeah, yeah. They, they didn't... Yeah, this wasn't quite like some of the other games this season where they've created a lot of chances and they just didn't score as much as they nearly should have. But, um, no, I mean, this is still, on paper, a tough match to go away to... A team that, granted, has not been playing very well in Europe, but is still in the Champions League spot for uh, in, in Italy. So this is still, this is still not an easy match going win, especially after your goalkeeper gets sent off and you have to play with a positional player out there um, who didn't really get tested that much with shots after he came on, which is... He, I mean, he had one. He had he literally one. All of his tests. Yeah. He had literally one. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, granted, like, City just kept the ball, which is right. what I want to do because they're good enough to do that. Right. But, you know, I just wonder if Atalanta, when you have the ball, why not? That's actually the time to just shoot from, like, 30 yards because <laughs> it's a pretty decent yeah. chance. It's either going to be a horrible rebound that ends up working in your favor or he could easily just not be able just to save it. it. Yeah, so, entirely. But I think overall, it's a, a fine point for City. There's, they're still going to finish um, first. There, right, that's, you know, yeah, that's the, the thing. It doesn't take away from that. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, gonna, it's not a result that's going to harm them whatsoever, really. But, yeah, so uh, good on you, uh, Kyle Walker, if, uh, if you end up starting the next game. Um, this one's on you, or this one's for you. Well, we'll move on to uh, one of the other games from Match Day 4, Juventus against Lokomotiv Moscow. Um, now, you think this would also be a pretty straightforward game for Juve, um, but no, they actually went down early um, to, to Moscow, uh, down 1-0. Um, they did end up tying it. I believe it was Iguain that scored? I'm yeah. not actually sure who scored that um, that tying goal for, for Juve, but... No, no, no. It was uh, Ramsey. Actually, oh, Ramsey opened the scoring. The Ramsey score opened the scoring, actually. Right. Yeah. Third minute. Yes. Uh, and some the, guy uh, scored in the 12th for, <laughs> shockingly enough, Moscow. And then at the end of the day, Douglas Costa in the third minute oh, of stoppage time wonderful. with the goal is so nice. quite the nice goal. Um, not as nice as a Jorginho penalty, <laughs> but still pretty good. Yeah, so Juve ended up having themselves, um, they're getting themselves to three points, uh, which is obviously extremely important in a group where they're facing Atletico Madrid. It's just a damn shame that Atletico Madrid also lost to Bayer Leverkusen, so it pretty much means nothing. Um, but yeah, so it is looking, looking more and more likely that Juve will finish top of the group. They obviously play Atletico in, uh, in the next round in match day five. Um, but the one thing I think that we can take away from this Juve game from against Moscow is that they kept persisting and I'm not saying that just because they scored I'm saying that because of the chances they had I'm saying because of the passage of play they they really didn't look out of it um, at, at any point they're up their dips ups and downs but you always kind of felt like they would have their chance and in this case Douglas Costa just absolutely took it on his own shoulders to to do it yeah I mean well of course because they're a much better team they should you would expect them they're a much better team. You'd expect them to keep pushing on and, and be able to score the goal because they have more talent on the field. But they're still not that great looking. Um, they were, their best game of the season is still going away to Inter and winning that 2-1. Like that was, that's still the 
probably the best they've played all season. And outside of that, it's still very early. So, you know, you, you can't expect that quite everything will be clicking uh, when a new manager comes in like this. But, you know, they've, they haven't looked that great. They're just very, a very, very talented team. And, and even in this game, there's been some sort of rumblings of stuff between Ronaldo and, and Sarri, especially because he took him off the game right before the international break, took him off, I believe, at halftime and, and cited it that he was injured. But then Ronaldo's first game <laughs> after the international break, he scored a hat trick in the first half. So yeah. um, who knows on that one? And he took him out uh, with ten minutes left in this game, and, and they scored after after he came off. So and very similar over the last weekend too, when he took off after he took off Ronaldo, um, they still went on and won the, their their match in Italy, in uh, Serie A. But you know, there's still stuff is not quite clicking yet there and. I think they said this, like, it's very hard. Like, Juve's not a team that historically has played, like, that type of football. Like, very expansive and stuff. And, and all those players, that's going to take some real getting used to. And they know how to win Serie A. Right. <laughs> and, and so it's going to be very hard to, for them to, like, to change, you know, how they play. Because they're probably going to... Yeah. You would expect that... When things get tough, they're probably going to revert to how they know how to win games in that league. Right. It, it, the thing is, it's just that's that's not the way that Sarri plays, right? And you have to remember that he he it's a different brand of Italian football, and it works because I think he has the players now to do that. Um, but prior to the season, I don't think that Juve had the type of players to play pretty much possession based and position based football. I mean, that's putting a lot of faith in Pjanic that I don't know if he deserves. Um, like he's, whoa, 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 I mean, that's, that's a hot take. In acting as a sorry pivot? Sure, maybe not as a pivot, but... Yeah, but that's the role that that position plays in sorry. Yeah. It's a pivot. Like, I'm not doubting Pjanic is a great player. I think he's right. a very talented midfielder. I don't think he's a pivot. I think he's... No, I, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. I agree with you. I think he's not necessarily a box-to-box midfielder, but he's more of the the creative midfielder in in Juve's team. Yeah, in the sense of having a true pivot, I don't know. Well, that's still is, is Aaron Ramsey even close to something like that? No, like, no. Exactly. Well, no. Well, yeah, Ramsey's definitely more of an eight. Yeah. But, um, I mean, he plays with Kadir on the field. But so, Kadir is not... Kadir is not... I know, Kadir... He's not... I know, he's not, he's not like, the type of ball-carrying guy that you expect there. So, so I do think it's a little... The midfield three is a bit weird. Like, even for this game specifically, you had Rabio, Pjanic, and Kadira. Um, well, you expect Rabio is kind of the... Rabio can play, play. role. He could, technically. Yeah, he could. He's well-suited in a three-man midfield, for sure. Right, but, right. Um... No, even this is not like a seamless fit. Like it's that I guess is always the problem, the one problem I, I think with like the system that Sar uses is that it's very dependent on that player yeah. to fit the role particularly. And and um and and like you said, I don't think yeah, I, I agree, I don't think Pion isn't necessarily that type of player. He could do it if you needed him to, but but to the effectiveness that the system kind of requires to look fluid, right? right? right. Like this system is very like if it's not clicking completely for uh, like a sorry system, it, then it looks very destroy not maybe not destroying, but it looks very pedestrian in terms of attack. Right, right. So basically, if you had Frankie De Jong, this team would be the best team in the world. <laughs> Basically. He would be a better fit for that role, I agree. Uh, yeah. yeah, he'd be a much better fit. <laughs> yeah, for sure, but they don't. And uh, we do. But we're also wasting him under Valverde. So, anyway, um, with that, I mean, that kind of is um, a recap of the Juve game and sort of where they're at. But I know there is one game and one team that Rian so desperately wanted to discuss, and that is his beloved Salzburg being run by American hero himself. Jesse Marsh. Once again, already the best American manager that the country's probably ever produced. <laughs> and definitely, oh, well, I'm not, not going to get into egg on this episode, <laughs> but 
No, uh, again, they went away in Europe to another very good team. Like, in the same way when they went to Liverpool and they were not afraid whatsoever. And granted, they didn't get the win in that game, but we all remember how amazing their comeback was. But they go to Napoli, really hard place to go and and win, right? And, and get points. Although Arsenal did do it last season in the Europa League, so maybe it's really not that tough anymore. <laughs> but, but, um, but no, they went and they got a draw. Um, they took a lead. And, uh, guess who scored again? <sighs> Eric. How do I? Erling. Erling Haaland. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's he has been beyond on fire. Like I think there's a stat somewhere out there that he is up there with Messi and Mbappe for like the earliest or fastest youngest. youngest there it is. <laughs> the youngest player to score like X amount of goals in the Champions League. He so. has seven goals as a nineteen year old in Champions League. Over under he's in four on, matches too. Over under he's on Red Bull for another year and a half. A year and a half. Well, what does that, that, that put us at the end of, end of the next 2021 season? season? End of 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that's probably. I think that's, that's probably it. Yeah, I think yeah. That's when he would leave. Yeah, yeah. I think he gets sold in that summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, Barcelona will be putting in a bid. I just want to throw that out now uh, for a Fatty Suarez swap. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure people will be putting bids in starting in January. You know, for- I'm, I'm interested to see. So he is. Is he? What country is he nationalized to? He's uh, Norwegian. Okay. Or, I, sorry. Yeah, Norwegian. Yeah. yeah I don't know if nowhere in the Euros are going to be in the Euros. Um, I know they're not qualified now. Um, yeah, they're certainly not. But if they are. I wonder what kind of Euros he has. I wonder if he can continue that form for X amount of time because it's harder to continue the form rather than have it. So That's we'll fair. see. He's, he's sitting on 26 goals in uh, 13 starts this mm. season. So at first that club, is yeah. two goals a game? Yeah. Hey, good that, math. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, so we do math here, the overlap as well. But no, that is that is actually nuts. Um, but Salzburg have been on fire. Like, they continue to be. I don't... So, I mean, does that, that kind of begs the question, right? Like, when you're looking at it in the grand scheme of them getting out of the group... I, probably no, no. Right. But, but, but they're sitting in a pretty good position to still finish third and get into Europa League. Yeah. And I don't know... Who's gonna want to actually face them in the Europa League? You know, seeing what they did going away to Liverpool and going away to Napoli. Do you think any fan of like Manchester United or, or Arsenal are Wait, gonna? Those people still exist. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, I know. We don't watch. We don't watch their. I mean, Thursdays are not my days for uh, football watching. I don't even. I don't even know that that games are played on Thursdays. But um, <laughs> watching football on a Thursday. <laughs> no, that's yeah, not how it That's goes. when we usually record our podcast, anyway. Yeah. So, but. Uh, no, no, that's this is not a team that anyone's gonna want to play. Like <laughs> they're gonna right. they're, they're gonna drop in from Europa League and they'll easily get out of like their round of thirty two and then once they're in round of sixteen and they're playing one of these like I said, like an Arsenal or United or whatever, that's not gonna be a team that either of them are gonna have an easy time to play against. Who in the Europa League right now would you pick over Red Bull? Oh, actually, I don't think it's anyone currently in the Europa League. I think it's whoever does not make it out of Group F in the Champions League. So whoever does not make it out of the Group of Death, I think, could actually win the Europa League. So likely, if I had to put money on it, I'd put money on Inter. Um, But, yeah, if Inter is in the Europa League, I'm going to pick Inter to win the Europa League. So Yeah, no, I, I... I think that makes sense too, honestly. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, that's I know, it's like a cop out. But gra- like. No, but granted, I mean, I would say a lot of that also depends on who comes out of Group H, which is the Chelsea, Ajax, and, and Valencia group as well. Um, I think if if somehow like Ajax or Chelsea draw, I think those two teams would be would actually. I don't. I don't think Valencia. I with their form and 
everything around them this season. I, I don't think they would. I don't think I would make them favorites to win the Europa League if they dropped down. But if Chelsea or Ajax did, then yeah, yeah. I would make one of those two teams. Probably. Yeah, in the long term, I don't know how well Valencia can can put up against the top teams in Europe, um, especially when you talk about an Inter, or Dortmund, or you know someone like that. So, or even a Chelsea Ajax. But yeah. Um, It'll be interesting to see who drops down and then making Europa League predictions from there. But that's actually a very good point. Um, but have you have you talked about uh, your boy Jesse Marsh enough? Are you content? No, I'm, I'm very content. He's great. He's great. He's, there's nothing else that you could ask him to do at this point. That's that's other than maybe uh, the or maybe interview him. No. Other than maybe ask him. Oh wow. He... Why? For those listening, my roommate Elena has just walked in. <laughs> But yes, I I fully um, agree that there's probably not much that Jesse Marsh could yeah. do at this point. Yeah, uh, he's not going to manage the the U.S. Men's National Team. Oh, he shouldn't. I hope he shouldn't. No, he shouldn't. He should. He should genuinely. Stay he should away stay from, away from the he federation. He should genuinely stay away from no, the federation. No, actually, completely, entirely. Um, <laughs> but unless they're willing to make him the president too, <laughs> <laughs> president, general manager, everything in between. Yeah, yeah. the president of America. That's Uh, totally (laughs) different conversation. (laughs) Unless they're willing to just have him control everything in the country, (laughs) (laughs) then we'd be okay with it. Give that man the nuclear codes. Yeah, well, let's um, go ahead then and wrap things up here. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Noah. Thank you for coming on to the podcast, talking a little Chelsea Ajax and also giving your your opinion of everything else um, in the Champions League, the the major games from Match Day 4. And, of course, Rion, you piece of shit. Um, it's always l- lovely talking to you. Oh. I like Rian more than Elias. Yeah, <laughs> so do I. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, you like yourself more. I'd hope, <laughs> dude. Love yourself. Yeah, not always a given. <laughs> Depends on the day of the week. Yeah. Um, but no, thank you as always to our listeners for listening to this one. It has been entertaining. Um, and as always, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Music. So, with that, Elias here signing off. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Have a good time.